Tom, thanks for coming by. And yeah, let's talk. So you're originally from Southern California. Yep. We, you know, us Wyomingites bash, uh, bash Californians yeah, all the time, against me. <laughs> but we were, we were just talking, I've got California roots too. So it's, uh, um, it's okay. It's okay to be from California, but so you're from Southern California, um, originally, um, right outside LA. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. 40 miles East of LA. Okay. Used to be a little town about 17,000 people. Okay. Ontario, California. And it's got a interesting history. It was sure. laid out by the Chafee brothers from, uh, from Ontario, Canada. And um, quite a bit of history. In fact, my grandmother's house is like a, a landmark now. It's oh, wow. preserved. And I grew up, you know, roaming around the attic and playing in the yard. And Sure. What was it like back then? So it was kind of a small town, like smaller oh, yeah. than Sheridan? Or? You no, know, we never, it was very similar to Sheridan, didn't lock the house. And uh, our house was actually the last house on the outskirts of town. It was sur surrounded by um, grape vineyards and orange groves and okay. lemon groves. Lived on a bicycle. And, uh, oh, yeah, rode around all over. Oh, yeah. yeah, we could ride to the mountains and go fishing and. I never did it. My, my brother would ride to the beach and, uh, or ride into Hollywood and look at the new Mercedes in the showroom or something. Right, right. It, it was... Uh, Back then, I imagine that that was easier to do than if you tried that now. <laughs> yeah, impossible now. Yeah. But yeah, traffic literally wasn't an issue. We'd just drive into downtown LA, park on Main Street and go to, go to a place called Clifton's Cafeteria. House. Okay. That was a big deal. Yeah. But yeah. It was, it was great times. What'd your parents do? And like, what, what was kind of your childhood like, you know? Oh, my father was a pipeline contractor. Oh, okay. You know, pretty much, you know, worked by himself in a small crew and dug ditches and laid pipeline yeah. and welded and uh, had a kind of a, a welding shop at home, and I was always, I don't know, I just love building stuff, you know. Uh, like most of the kids would go to the corner store and buy a kite, and I would go cut down the bamboo and and make a kite from scratch. Yeah. I just love building stuff. Yep. And, Did that come from your dad, or is that just kind of how you've always been? You you went and... It was just kind of in my genes, yeah. I think. And, and pretty much... Um, I had an older brother that was, uh, um, he was a shop, uh, woodwork, a wood shop okay. teacher. Yeah. And he was quite a bit older than me. So, you know, in, in my teens, I spent a lot of time in his wood shop. Okay. And uh, there for a while, he actually was a teacher on uh, Catalina Island. Okay. So yeah. So I spent quite a bit of time on Catalina Island. And, and tell tell us your family's history. You were saying that was it your your grandmother's parents had the first newspaper there. Yeah, my great grandfather had a, a printing shop in a little town on the coast in central California called Cambria. And then in my later years, I spent quite a bit of time in Cambria and and Morro Bay. Um, pretty much, just. An, you know, looking back, I didn't, of course, you don't appreciate it at the time, but I had an amazing, uh, fortunate childhood. Yeah. Uh, all my uncles and aunts, they were just really good, good people. 
And uh, I had one uncle um, during the war. He was in the 10th Mountain Division. Okay. And that was uh, basically your special forces, Green Beret type training, except for uh, winter and mountain issues so he taught me how to ski every summer we'd take a hundred mile backpack trip in the high sierras i mean we were roughing it yeah (laughs) i mean sleeping on the ground Uh, if it rained we had a sheet of plastic we'd huddle under right and uh, but we'd take these epic backpack trips and uh, how old were you on those teenager start out i think i was 10 years old oh wow that's awesome. And then we just did it every year. Eventually, we pretty much covered the whole John Muir Trail. Oh, okay. From north to south. Yep. In 100-mile sections. Yep. And uh, and basically, if you didn't catch fish, you went to bed hungry. So, right. Yeah. Go back to, um, so your older brother, so so uh, you started out in kind of more woodworking, so carpentry type. Yeah. Yeah. I really liked woodworking. Uh, then in junior high, I I just kind of lived in the wood shop. Right. My other teachers would let me, if I built them something out of wood, <laughs> I, I could spend the whole day in wood I shop. Can feel, I can feel uh, high school teachers cringing at that, like, oh, man, letting you out of that. And <laughs> so I excelled in industrial arts. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> other subjects uh, suffered a lot. <laughs> But, uh, but I bet that was valuable, though. Kind of, that's kind of gaining a little bit of sales, right? Like, hey, I'll build you this if I can go oh. hang out in the wood shop. Well, uh, then it went over to auto mechanics. So all through high school, I was repairing the English teacher, you know, putting brakes on the English teacher's car, and you know, the social studies, you know, right? And and basically, I would spend the entire day in Doing auto that. shop. Yeah. And uh, I actually won a, an award for my industrial arts. And, okay. And then just barely uh, graduated. Graduated. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so woodworking and then uh, industrial kind of car. Yeah. Um, graduate high school was college in your <laughs> in your future. Well, you know, this sounds. Yeah, it was, but that was like 1968, 69, the height of the Vietnam War. Right. And uh, and one avenue to stay home would be to go to college. So I attempted to go to college and just didn't do very good. And and next thing you know, I was 1A and had had my physical and literally was on the brink of, of going in. Over to Vietnam. And then they came up with the lottery system, and I, I got a good number. And, gotcha. And, uh, you know, all, looking back at my life, I call them forks in the wo- road. Mm-hmm. And that was a major fork because uh, I'd pretty much made the decision that if I did go to Vietnam, I would I would be a good soldier and uh, yeah, and do what I had to do. What was that like? Because um, you were going to school at that time, um, you know. F- uh, for us, you know, that's our our recent history war is kind of like you know the you know Iraqi freedom and desert Desert Storm even starting to get a little out there. So, um, for anyone out there, like, what was it like, you know, experiencing that as a young adult? You know, Vietnam possibly getting um, you know before the lottery, it was almost full. Um, 
full conscript would it be yeah conscripted um you know what was that like as a yeah, young and I, you know i had a couple friends that never came home mm. so it it touched me uh my uncles all three of them were were in the war right saw you know combat and they were opposed to the war uh, th there was even talk of you know they would take me to canada they were really opposed to it and uh but um, like say, uh, then the protests, and I had a brother that was going to school in Berkeley, and when I'd go visit there, the, you know, the tear gas would drift over, and uh, you know, all the protests. Sure. It was, you know, 1969, and being 19 years old in 1969, and yeah. living in Southern California and the Vietnam War, and. And music and the rock and the hippie. Yep, hippie movement. Yep. Were you a hippie? I was a hippie. <laughs> Hitchhiked a lot. Yeah. But, um, well, explain the, um, because uh, you and I have talked, we, you know, I listen to podcasts. And so, um, you know, that's always an interesting thing. So explain what were you like as a hippie? Because I think that gets a little, um, it gets a little mis mis uh, misinterpreted. Uh. <laughs> well, I always called myself a responsible hippie because uh, when I was twenty, uh, I wanted to rent a house because I wanted to have a dog. Okay. And to have, I wanted a big German Shepherd, and and so I stopped in a in a real estate office to rent a house, and the guy goes, "Why don't you buy a house?" And so uh, I talked to my mom. I said, I went to rent a house, and he, he wants to buy it. And she goes, I'll help you buy it, like instantly. And, like, my parents never, ever loaned me money or offered me anything. It was kind of like you're on your own. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so I was kind of taken back. And a couple of days later, you know, I was... I bought a house. I was 20. At 20? Oh, geez. <laughs> 20 years old. And, and that was a major fork in the road because it kind of grounded me. Mm. And I took pride in the house and painted it and took care of it. Um, but then when I talk about being a responsible hippie, I would go on these hitchhiking trips. Sure. And, uh, travel around California and go to different rock concerts. And you might've heard of Altamont, uh -huh. yep. the Rolling Stone concert. Yes. I hitchhiked up for that one. And then, so what I other? lived this kind of carefree lifestyle. And I had a couple of roommates who helped pay for the house. Oh, awesome. Which gave me freedom yep. to, you know. Yeah, to go do to that. Do stuff like that. Was, uh, name off a couple of your favorite bands or concerts you went to. Oh, well, all of them. No. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, well, just at Altamont, there was uh, Jefferson Airplane, uh, Santana, the Rolling Stones, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, and uh, you know, then I'd go to like San Francisco, the the Fillmore, okay, Fillmore West, and you know, see Janis Joplin, uh, Big Brother and the Holding Company, and. Uh, um, just all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, would that be your definition of a hippie is just, you know, the kind of the freedom, you know, going to the rock concerts and, um, traveling around. Well, that's my, that's what <laughs> That's I your want. definition. Yeah. <laughs> and I had long hair, bell bottoms and a tie dyed t-shirt and, yeah. and, 
and put a lot of patula on and, and uh, you know, just sleep wherever, under a bridge or yeah. whatever. Crash on yeah. someone's couch or whatever, yeah. yeah. It, it was it was pretty cool in those days. Yeah, you know? just the freedom part of it, I think that's, that's yeah. what sounds really intriguing. Um, yeah, I'm kind of... I know you asked me a question, and I don't think I really ever answered any of it. No, that it was the hippie question, so that was oh, good. Okay. <laughs> um, and then, uh, so when, um, so you're 20, bought a house, got roommates. Uh, what were you doing at that time? Were you still going to school or? No, I'd, I'd kind of, I'd dropped out. Okay. And just, and ever since I was, I was, I'll be kind of honest, I was motivated by money. I liked stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, like I got into model cars and I, you know, I had two paper routes and mowed lawns to support my model car, model airplane hobbies. You gotcha. Know? And, uh, and then it progressed into cars and houses. And um, so I, I just, uh, I used to deliver the newspaper to a company called Hooker, Hooker Headers. And at the time, this was like, Hooker Headers was the just world famous for uh, race car exhaust systems. And I'd ride by on my bicycle, and I'd see the guys welding at, at Hooker Headers. And so the day I turned 18, I was in there and applied for a job, got hired, and uh, it was brutal. It was a tough working atmosphere. And, uh, but I survived and, uh, after a couple of weeks I could do my quota and, and kind of, it, it was a, a rough crowd to say the least oh, sure. of coworkers, you know, especially as an 18 year old. Yeah. There's a lot went on there, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, what was one of your first experiences of like, you're like, Oh, like this is the type of crowd I'm working with. Oh, I probably really can't talk about it. Can't say? It. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. It was kind of scary. Sure. Yeah. Because um, that that'd still be the early 60s then, yeah. or late 60s, I guess. Yeah, yeah. like six, 69. And, uh, don't hold me down on time, <laughs> t- the timeline. Uh, I gets, admit it kind of kind of adjusted <laughs> depending on who I'm talking That's right. But, uh, you know, I think it was 69 that sure. I, I was working at Hooker, and and in a short period of time, oh, one, one th- <clears throat> I'd never done gas welding. That's with a torch and a flame, and then you add the, the rod. Mm-hmm. But I called my brother the night before I was to go in, because I had a pretty good idea, or I was pretty sure they were going to test me. And so he taught me how to weld on the phone. Oh, wow. I called him up and he goes, okay, you're going to have to do this. Open the oxygen, acetylene, adjust the gauges, open the valve, light the flame, adjust your torch. Then, and so I went in the next day. That's bead welding, right? I think. Yeah. And I nailed it and they, they hired me. And, uh, then after relatively short period of time, I think like three, it's, of course, back then it seemed like forever, but within three or four months, I had a reputation for being able to run a really beautiful weld. And then the custom department needed an employee. And that was across the street, and it was 
looking back, it was like the most amazing position for me. Um, but there was two of us that would build the custom exhaust system, or they're called headers for, for the race cars. And they would bring in, and these are the top drag racing cars in the world. Uh, you know, Don Garlitz and Grumpy Jenkins and Dick Landy and Sox and Martin. They'd bring a car in, and then we'd spend a week or two building these custom one-of-a-kind exhaust systems for these race cars. So it was, it was just an amazing job. Yeah. You know? uh, somewhere I have, I actually took some pictures of some of the pipes. My brother's a biologist. I I call my oldest brother a physicist, but in anyway, we're yeah real science based, but. So we took this real remote road down in southern Wyoming, and, and uh, there was an abandoned railroad station, and um, there was um, a, a black lady lived there all by herself. And my dad was real. He could get along with anybody. You know, if he saw a sheep herder wagon, next thing you know, we'd be eating dinner there, or they'd, the, the herder would come over and... And so he befriended this this lady, and and uh, so we camped nearby, and we were there for quite a while. Loaded up quite a few fossils. Of course, it was such a you know uh, a bumpy dirt road. By the time we got home, they're all busted. <laughs> uh, to think what we were doing in those days, I'm just shocked, you know, because yeah, I think that whole area is pretty closed up, and you don't touch anything, but. In those days, literally, you'd be walking and stepping on and breaking fossils. Right. Yeah. But anyway, I had had fond memories of uh, uh, Wyoming and yeah, fossil hunting and yep. And when I decided that I was going to move, I went out driving around, and uh, you know, this is before the internet. I had contacted dozens of uh, chamber of commerces, you know old slow mail and I had all these pamphlets on you know pretty much every town in Wyoming and just went out driving around and <clears throat> I ended up I'd been to Cody and I thought it was a little touristy you know something just didn't feel good and mm -hmm. I was heading to Lander Riverton area okay and I stopped in Thermopolis and in the gas station I the guy asked what I was doing. I said, well, I'm looking for a place to live. And he said, you ought to try that Buffalo Sheridan area. And when I drove over the mountains, I saw Buffalo in the distance, and it was a done deal. Yep. You came over from uh, Thermopolis, so that's, um, yeah. is that 14 there? Um, yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, you come out of the mountains and you yep. see Buffalo. And I went in the very first real estate office and met a guy named Larry Branyan. He's kind of a, a unique individual. <laughs> and uh, the next day I bought a little house out in Ucross. Okay. And I headed home to pack up. That's awesome. And uh, did, you, uh, did you stop anywhere too in Buffalo, like the uh, Occidental or? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, well Larry spent the whole day. Yeah. I remember he was packing a gun and I thought, well, that's different. <laughs> <laughs> in his office? Or, or no, packing it around. He had it with him all yeah, the time. Yeah, he had a yeah. pickup. With, yeah. There was a holster on the seat with his pistol in it or something. But 
Yeah, I got. He gave me an introduction to the area, and, and got you to a little, this day we're just very close friends. Yes, yeah. yeah. So talk about grow, uh, uh, talk about living in in Ucross. What did you uh, What did you start doing for work when you moved out here? Anything I could. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I bought this little house. There really wasn't. It, it was a tight market in in nineteen eighty. And so I bought this little house, is $50,000. And they were building a new house at the end of the lane. And I walked down and asked if they had any work. And yeah, we need somebody to clean up the yard. So I cleaned the yard up. And then like, we need somebody to help frame. And next thing you know, I was a carpenter. Yeah. And worked on this crew and worked on uh, a big bank in Buffalo. and And... But I was basically I was working as a carpenter, but then I was doing some mechanical. You know, somebody needed a rebuild on an engine or something. I I could do the mechanical, and I had the welder, so I'd just doing everything I could. It was it was tight, and then occasionally I would I would drive down to California and weld for a few weeks, and then Makes come back and and uh, and I you know. Actually, I went out to the coal mine. You know, I was job hunting too. Yep. But when I left um, California, my family was like, "What are you going to do in Wyoming?" And I, I can remember saying, "Oh, I'll figure something out." You know. But I got moved up here. Got my, I bought a Colt, <clears throat> and I had to get a little book on how to break a Colt. Sure. <laughs> and uh, so I break this. I built a, put up my corral and built a round pen and. You know, step by step, I'm breaking my colt and uh, finally got her where I could ride her and just started riding literally every day. I was pretty horse crazy. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, where'd you, do you remember where you bought the colt from? Yeah, that was an interesting. <laughs> uh, I worked on a construction crew in Buffalo and uh, I asked around and, and somebody, because I said I was looking for a horse and talked, a guy on the crew used to live over by Grable. Okay. And we drove over one, oh, it was a blistering cold uh, spring morning, you know. And, and I picked out this little colt and we loaded her up and brought her home. And uh, literally I had no experience. Right. At all. Zero, yeah. I didn't know how to put a halter on its head, you know. and uh, But I, I I got through it. What was your colt's name, would you? Oh, it, it was Myla, and I had her 32 years. Oh, wow. She was the most unbelievable horse. She put up with me, so she had to be good. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah, at one point I was, I actually went, I was in LA and took English writing lessons because um, some people up here had said, "Yeah, the English really know, you know, mm-hmm. they they know a lot, right? You know, yeah, and they've got a big history here in this area too. You know, yeah. just bringing horses in and um, so you were welding. You know, brought your welder up, kind of doing odd jobs, got your horse. <laughs> what? Um, Tell us the story of how you got into making bits and spurs. Well, 
like I mentioned, I was looking for something. I, you know, I actually talked to a local saddle maker, Don Butler, um, about apprenticing. And I, I'd bought some leather and was, you know, just playing around, making some head stalls and some and, you know, belts out of leather. And then one day, uh, a neighbor lady knocked on my door and she, I opened the door. She's standing there holding a bit. And she said, my bit broke. Can you weld it together? And uh, I got kind of a chill. And it was like, oh, my gosh, I can do this. And so I fixed her bit. And in the garage that night, I had brought with me a bucket of scrap metal. And it was basically all scrap uh, stainless steel sailboat. Uh, oh, pieces. Right. And there were some rings and some rods. And so I welded up my first bit that night. And, uh, but I didn't actually finish it. I didn't put the mouthpiece in it. Okay. I was going to have to forge that. So the next day I drove into town, I was going to get business cards printed and, uh, I was desperate. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, some people have the luxury of taking a hobby and it kind of evolves, you know. You know, they go to a yard or a, you know, a, a market or yep. something and little do by a little. Yep. But I, I was just, you know, one day I didn't know what I was going to do. And the next day I was uh, what I thought for a while was going to be a bit maker. But driving into town, I was like, I don't know anything about bits. Now, spurs to me are more, a little more mechanical. Yep. I, I kind of got the hang of what you do with a spur. But So my first business cars just say Tom Balding Spurs, and I oh. wasn't going to make bits. I was just going to focus on, on spurs. spurs. So I probably spent the next six months and building the tooling to bend and form and welding fixtures to assemble everything. And, uh, and finally I got all my, you know, pretty good, you know, half a dozen different styles of spurs put together. And I, I put them in some of the local stores, King, King Saddlery and, and Don Butler shop. And, but just nothing was selling and, and things were getting really tight because I had, pretty much quit doing, I was just totally focusing on putting this thing together. Right. And, uh, and actually I'd, I'd put some property up for sale. It was my, my dream was this beautiful piece of property on Mead Creek and I wanted to eventually build my house. Okay. And I had, it had got so tight that I had called the realtor and put my my land on the market. On the and market, and I was in the saddle maker Don Butler's store, and I was just like, "Man, Don, I'm I'm down and out. I need to sell some stuff." And he said, "Well, there's a horse show in Gillette this weekend. You could go set up at the horse show." Well, I didn't have any idea what that even consisted of right <laughs> so i got my card table and and loaded up my 71 ranchero and and went over to gillette i'd planned on sleeping in my car okay 
because I didn't, literally, I didn't have any money. Right. And, and uh, I set up at the show and I got my little spurs set out. And within a couple hours, people were lined up. Wow. And uh, I actually had to leave because I didn't have a receipt book. I hadn't hadn't taken my plan that far. That far, yeah, Yeah. right. So I had to leave, run down to an office supply place and get a, like a... Receipt book, yeah. Receipt book and start taking orders. And after two days, well, I had a... <clears throat> oh, an interesting part of the story. I was all packed up, and they'd said I'd called the horse show people in Gillette, and they said, "Well, you have to be there. You, you can't check in late." You know. Okay. You, as a vendor, yep, you got to. Yeah. Yep. As a vendor, you have to be here by noon tomorrow, or or not at all, or whatever. And so then that morning, I get a call from the local realtor. I won't say he's a cool guy, and he goes, "I got a full offer on your property." Uh, I go, you know, he says, you got to come in and sign the papers. I go, well, I can't. I have to go to this horse show. He goes, well, you have to. I go, well, I can't, you know. Yep. Can I come in Monday? And he goes, well, you just have to swear, you know. <laughs> and I go, my words, you know, I'm good for my word. You know, I will sell it to him, you know. Yeah. So I go to the horse show. I make enough money to make my payment on my land. Right. <laughs> And come back Monday, I call him and I go, we've got a problem. Yeah. Here. Just had the craziest weekend. I, I can't go, sell. This is my dream property and I can, I can keep it now. Well, you can't. They, they can sue you. And uh, unless you come in and sit down face to face, talk to them. Sure. So that was... Is that what you did? I went. I drove in from Ucross and sat down and told the story that I just told you, and they let me out of the deal. Awesome. And eventually I built a beautiful house on that property. And on Mead Creek, you said? Yeah. yeah. Did you um, did you sell out of all your spurs at that show? Yeah. 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 And then did people take orders like oh, yeah. after? I took a lot of oh, orders. Oh, wow. And man, I was on a roll. Yeah. And... uh so the very next weekend, I packed up and I went to Lolo, Montana. Okay. And and uh, I didn't sell anything the whole weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Just froze my ass off, sitting by a little stove in this cold arena and nothing, you know. But I realized if if I'm going to sell this, I have to I have to go to them. Mm-hmm. You know that business of uh, word of mouth wasn't working. Right. You know. So then I pretty much hit the road for, for 12 years. Okay. Um, going, f- you know, Nevada, California, and then back east, Ohio, Michigan, to, to horse shows. Okay. And, and, and was that exclusively ho- horse shows? And then did you ever start going to rodeos too? Or No. You know, it was it, it was the kind of the, the horse show people sure. okay. that, that carried me. But what I did learn in Gillette was everybody wanted bits. Oh. Know? I mean, they're more than happy to buy a pair of spurs, but most people only need one or two pairs of spurs, but they're always, they always want bits. Yep. And, uh, well, the first, the, your neighbor, that, that was what was broken, right? Was the, right. was the bit. Yeah. And I, in Gillette, I met a, 
an old-time uh, bronc rider, uh, John Holman. And, I mean, we're, what a great guy. His, his nickname was Witch Holman, and he used to ride with Chris Ledoux, and he told all kinds of old-time bronc riding stories. stories and stuff. <laughs> but he was really honest with me because... Uh, he gave me some pointers, and I'd build a bit, and then he would critique it. You know, no, this is too little or whatever. And he was just really kind of pretty rapidly built my confidence up on, on what to build. Yeah. And, uh, but always in the back of my mind, I didn't want to—I just didn't copy anything. Um, yeah, wanted it to be yours. Yeah. I've always said the logical— thing to do would have been to like just copy a bit but I just wouldn't do it yeah (laughs) and I have and I'm not exaggerating I have hundreds of really bizarre looking bits (laughs) in my barn Uh, and I look at them you know and some of them are just like what was I thinking but I was just constantly trying and and then when I did start putting the bits together, I knew I could weld stainless steel to mild steel, and then I could gun blue it. Um, uh, you're familiar with the finish on, on guns. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, they, they boil the steel, and it turns it a, a shiny black. And then I would uh, weld stainless steel rings on a piece of steel, and then when I would blue it, it would be this beautiful shiny black finish with two silver rings. Oh, okay. And nobody had ever done that before. And so I could take the simplest bit and use the two stainless steel and mild steel, and you could literally look across the arena and see this two-tone bit. Yep. And that was the key to my... My success. Yeah. In fact, it's actually a registered trademark. Okay. Uh, you and the way it reads, I think, is uh, using two dissimilar metals for an artistic value or something like sure. that. Sure. Awesome. And, uh, so what? What gave you? Were you, were you just experimenting? You're like, hey, I could do this. Well, I was looking at what was out there, and they were. I didn't know anything about working with silver. They would normally solder silver onto. That was okay. Really, the only way to dress something up was to to solder solder it on. Okay, solder these uh, silver designs on. And I'm kind of, I think, kind of a minimalist. And yeah, I what's wanted, the what's the easiest and fastest way? I wanted my work to be more extremely functional, but minimal artistic, you know, like over the years I'd create designs and then people would want me to solder their name on it or whatever. And I had a hard time doing that. It's like, oh, you don't want to clutter it up. You know, it's clean. I got over that though. (laughs) (laughs) Because after a few years I learned how to engrave and work with the silver and solder it on. And, and, you know, if you go to our website, you know, a, a large part of our business is, you know, really fancy silver adorned uh, bits and spurs and things. Mm-hmm. But When did you, um, let's kind of talk about that. So 
you're doing this probably all out of your own shop, probably at your house. Um, when did you kind of move it to Sheridan or open up your shop right there on uh, Riverside there? Well, um, I, I mentioned I started in Ucross. I lived there five years and I built a little garage and was working out of that. And then uh, I, I sold that, sold the house and uh, I walked away with $10,000 and I went to Gillette and I bought two motor homes. Okay. Or mo- mobile homes. Yeah. Uh, I got two mobile homes for $5,000. And then I built a little road into my Mead Creek property, put in a little septic tank and a little surface well, and uh, all the hookups for $5,000. So that's where my $10,000 went. went. Okay. I had a mobile home to live in. And I turned one of the mobile homes into a shop. Gotcha. And uh, and then eventually, after a couple of years, I started building uh, my house. Okay. And out uh, there. Okay. And so the years went by, and I was actually working out of a mobile home for like fifteen years. Okay. And um, then one day, the little shop heater malfunctioned and almost burned it down. Oh no! And I realized I had a over the years, it accumulated so many pieces of tooling and fixtures and things that it was almost invaluable. I just thought if if I lost all this, I think I would find a different profession. Sure, <laughs> you know, right. The thought of starting over again. So then I realized I need a good secure building and and bought the land in Sheridan and and built a you know a beautiful uh, shop and showroom. And now we've been there almost over 20 years. Okay. What, um, you know, cause you're kind of more connected to Buffalo. What was it just cause Sharon was a little bigger? Or? Yeah. It just seemed like with, with the business and then of course moving to Mead Creek, mm-hmm. you know, if I needed something, I came into Sheridan, yep. but you know, Buffalo, you know, for, for years was my hometown. Yeah. And, uh, I, I love Buffalo and, uh, and Sheridan as well. Yep. And uh, pretty much everything we make says Sheridan, Wyoming. Uh, you know, as the years went by, our business in Europe uh, is pretty big part of our, our business. Is okay. All over U- Europe. And how did you guys break into that market? Um, actually, the the sport of reining horses, where they go out and ride patterns, and that that whole uh, lack of a better word, sport or, um, you know, you have barrel racing and reining horses and cutting horses. You have the different, uh, different activities that people do. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, reining horses, it just really picked up in Europe. And so all the American trainers were going over to Europe to put on clinics and they were all riding with my, my equipment. Gotcha. And so, you know, the new horse people in Europe had to have Tom Balding bits and spurs to be like the big guys. Yeah, right, right. So very cool. That kind of it, it caught on pretty big, and then over the over the years, I started going over there f- and helping. You know, some of the stores would invite me over, and I would set a, set up a little display at their booth mm-hmm. at the shows and meet their customers and and uh, and 
What was one of your favorite stops? Uh, oh, I don't know. There was all, you know, Germany and, and Italy and pretty, all over. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then you meet lots of people and get invited back and eventually, you know, like Hungary and uh, Slovakia and Austria. And, but I was, <clears throat> I was at a horse show in, uh, in Italy and somebody, I don't dress like, I get kind of criticized for my casual dress. You know, it's not typical horse kind of. Um, I got you. Yep. <laughs> anyway, I was at a horse show and I was actually, you know, standing by the arena watching them do their thing. And a guy walked up and, oh, where are you from? I go, oh, I'm. I'm from the United States. He goes, no, where in the United States? Well, I'm from Sheridan, Wyoming. He goes, Tom Balding's from Sheridan, Wyoming. <laughs> I go, well, I am Tom Balding. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. Yeah, I had to show him a business card. Oh, my gosh. And then we were really good friends. Right. <laughs> yeah, he invited me to his booth, and we drank some wine. And yeah, anyway, Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I, I thought that was so cool. <laughs> Who are kind of talking about people you've met, you know, is, is there somebody that, um, you know, people would be surprised to have bought uh, bits and spurs from you, you know, either like a celebrity or just somebody you would never think maybe owns a horse? Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of, we, we wholesale to stores is a pretty big part of our business. Okay. But I remember walking through the Denver airport and People Magazine had some actress on the cover with her horse and it had my bit i think i'm not too good with sure but that was probably that probably that's probably a darker mcdowell okay i don't know yeah but then you know like um harrison ford he called one day and he couldn't decide what bit he wanted and i well I, i'll send you and this is the early you know, my catalog was just a photocopied sheet of paper. You know, <laughs> I go, well, I'll send you my catalog. And what's your name? And he, oh, Harrison Ford. Oh, yeah, you do sound familiar. <laughs> you know, I. You've never met him though. Just sent him a catalog. Yeah, he. Yeah, he was cool though. Yeah, nice over the phone and. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but over the years, there's been quite a few different. Uh, ben Johnson. He's an old. Old school, you know, he did movies with John Wayne and yeah. all those guys. And, uh, how about uh, how about people? Uh, how about um, uh, horse trainers or you know rodeo athletes? Maybe in the last couple of years, do they just come by the store and take a tour and see the showroom? Yeah, yeah, pretty much all of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they all have to stop by. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I'm just not good at, <laughs> at names. Names, you know. <laughs> That's like all right. Trevor Brazil. Okay. You know, he's like the ultimate all-around world champion. I, I don't even know how many he's won, twenty or something. Sure. And he's pretty good. He, he's a regular customer. Yeah. And, uh, pretty much all the trainers. You know, I've been doing this, you know, I, since '84. Yep. What is that, 36 years? Yep, I was going to say that's close to 40 years. Yeah. 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 You know, a lot of these pretty famous, uh, notable trainers and uh, were young 
kids, you know, when I got to meet him and, and we built up a relationship and, uh, and I use, you know, almost without fail, whenever I design something new, I, I'll send it to one of the top trainers and get their real honest opinion of, of uh, what they the think potential about it. of, and, and I've always been, it was funny, somebody just asked me today, how long does it take you to develop a new design? And I always said, well, at least, at least a year from the original sketch to getting parts made and and then getting a, a prototype built, sending it out to a few different people and getting some feedback before I really feel comfortable uh, introducing it to the public. Yeah. And, uh, but wow, that's awesome! Did you ever think when that when your neighbor came by and you needed to replace that bit, and then you had that idea? Did you ever think you'd be doing it for thirty seven years? Well, I thought there was potential. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I never. Uh, I'm not a. I don't plan that far ahead. <laughs> you know, people ask you know, hey, let, can we have lunch to, next Wednesday? And it's like. That's too far ahead. You yep. know? <laughs> Call me Wednesday morning. I remember that. That's what you said the first time I met you. You're like, ah, you're like, you're, you'll have to catch me a couple yeah. times. Yep, that's fun. that's fair. People, are, you know, that's. I just don't like being locked in to that's yep. a because when I commit to something, it's kind of a done deal. Yep, we're doing it. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Tom, tell me a little bit about what uh, what's your role like now? It sounds like you still kind of get to design some new ones. Um, uh, do you go in there and, um, you know, bust out a couple or what's, cause you guys had a, you know, when you, when I walked in, you've got quite a few employees working on different things. Um, yeah, you know, what's kind of your role now? We've got six full-time employees. Some of Sam has been there 30 years and, uh, Justin and Kelly have each been there 20 years and, uh, you know, long-term it's very family, you know, feel, I pretty much had kind of an official retirement. We hired a, an HR specialist to come in, and and she interviewed and designated titles because for pretty much ever, I was involved in everything, right? Advertising and the marketing and the and the sales and the design and ordering everything, and I just had it all in my head. And yep. So we started, you know delegating all the different jobs to different people and went through this whole process. So I kind of, quote, re retired. And, you know, for maybe close to a year, I just haven't been around the business a whole lot. But lately I've felt that, uh, you know, I want to, because some people say, what are, you know, what's going to happen to your business when you pass? You know, is it going to be over? And I'm like, no way. <laughs> it's going to go on for a long time. Yeah. But I think f to do that and that I need to, I just think I still play a big part in keeping the spirit going. And, and, uh, I'm, I feel like I'm getting ready to design some, some new stuff. And, and then I've studied lean, <clears throat> uh, um, it's called lean manufacturing it's kind of a lifestyle of being organized and efficient. Um, with the COVID, uh, you know, hitting us, hitting last uh, last spring, 
I thought for sure our business was going to suffer, especially Europe market, because they were hit so hard. It dipped for a few weeks, and then it it's just been unbelievable, the demand for our work. And uh, so I just, you know, I, I don't want to get any bigger. I think there's just headaches involved in that. Qualities, just the bottom line that we keep our, you know, don't change anything. So I think to get more efficient and uh, uh, is just real critical for us to help kind of try to meet the demand. Right. And uh, and then new designs, I think, for the longevity of the business is, is real important to kind of keep things fresh and new. Yeah. So... Yeah, I'm kind of back in the shop quite a bit these days. Yeah, but you kind of took a, um, you, you kind of took a step back and realized, you know, with people kind of asking you, like, what happens, you know, when you, you know, which is like, I don't feel like you're that old, so that's kind of, I don't know why people are asking you, like, what happens when you pass away? It's like, well, yeah. I'm still here, but uh, um, my kids ask me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, it's cool to hear you say, like, no, I, like, I want it to, you know, I want a legacy of that business to go on. Um, you know, outside of that, so it sounds like maybe you're kind of coming back into the creative role and designing, but uh, what else have you been up to? You know, we've talked about multiple times, um, you've gotten on those one wheels and you've built a little track at your house. Yeah, that's an addiction. <laughs> Be careful. The, the day I got introduced to the one wheel... A friend of mine, a, a local, uh, Tony Tarver, he's a, a, a unique individual. <laughs> and I look out my office window one morning, and he's doing circles in the parking area on his one wheel. And I walked out, and, and I've snowboarded for like 20 years and skateboarded and surfed, and so I'm kind of a board guy anyway. And uh, I go... Wow, what's that, Tony? He goes, it's a one-wheel. Do you want to ride? I go, no, I'm going to buy one. <laughs> <laughs> and I went in the office, ordered one. And and uh, and you've modified yours too, haven't you? Oh, yeah, I put different tire on it. And yeah. I, I do. Now I have two because, well, one's charging. You can ride the other one. And and uh, I travel with it. I, like I wouldn't go anywhere without it. It. It's kind of a drag because you can't get them on airplanes anymore. Uh, but I did. I took a. Actually, I went to Hawaii just to ride the one wheel for ten days. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so I have a. Now it's about two and a half mile uh, course. Uh, I'd call it a, a. A race track. Race track. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a trail system on my property. Originally, I built it for mountain biking because that's. A, I really love mountain biking. Mm -hmm. And for for 10 years, it was a mountain biking course, and now it's... Now it's a one-wheel racetrack. a, a yeah. one-wheel deluxe. You know, the turns are all banked. And, yeah. And, uh, we're getting... There's like a dozen one-wheels in Sheridan. Yeah. So. Yeah, and especially now with it getting warmer, I think everyone's going to bust them oh, out. Yeah. And, yep. Um, what else keeps you busy? I know um, you're a car guy, and... Uh, uh, I think everybody knows if it's you driving around in that white Mustang. Yeah. Um, is that badass or what? It is. I love it. Yeah. I can tell, you know, I, <laughs> I know it's you when I hear it and then you're driving by. So, um, no, that's awesome. I love it. What year is it? 
It's a 65. Okay. Uh, called a K-Code Fastback Mustang. I bought it for $300 in 1969. No. Yeah. And uh, so there's a lot of memories in that thing. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, last winter, I put a whole new drivetrain in it, a really nice five-speed manual transmission and clutch. And it just, it. I've had it over 50 years, and it, it drives better than it ever has. <laughs> if it's not snowing, I'm driving the Mustang. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, what else keeps you busy? I know uh, you and Charlie have always talked about going on some ski trips, some snowboarding oh, yeah. trips. Yeah, snowboarding, backpacking, fishing. We, we missed the window this year, but we'll pick up next yeah. year. <laughs> Any, anything else that keeps you busy, Tom? Oh, I just gardening. Okay. Uh, yeah, just... You just like keeping busy, I think. You oh, like, yeah, yeah, trying new stuff and... Yeah. Um, I, it's kind of... There's times I'll take like a month long trip and I'm home like within 12 hours, I'm pacing. Like, I've got to do something. Yeah, you got to do something. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, like, just calm down. Just take, <laughs> take a day off. Take a break. Um, I do want to finish, Tom. You know, you kind of mentioned it already, you know, last spring, kind of about this time exactly, you know, the world, you, you know, was dealing with COVID. Um, you guys were probably sitting there thinking what's going to happen with those European markets, but, um, we've all survived. We're all back. Um, what do you expect to see since you've been out here for such a long time? Actually, what do you, what do you expect to see this year, this summer, um, in regards to Sheridan, um, you know, and, and, uh, kind of the rodeo, um, you know, are you getting out of town? You know, what's, uh, what do you kind of see for this summer? Oh, well, one, I think going through the kind of, because my daughter and I kind of isolated at my, I have 45 acres just east of town. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it was just amazing and quiet and peaceful. I, I was able to slow down and and uh, worked on just things on the property that I'd put off for 20 years, you know, <laughs> and uh but you I'm start just, to notice when you're stuck there, <laughs> you know. Just uh, I'm just so into the, my my property and the stream. I'm working with uh, Joey's Fly Fishing Foundation and and Steady Stream Tina at Steady Stream Hydrology as far as possibly doing some building some features into the stream. Uh, I was real involved with a stream habilita habilitation. Yep project with the uh, Department of Agriculture uh, to kind of repair the stream from overgrazing for a hundred years. Sure. And uh, just, I'm a little more content to s just stay home and mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the gardening and the one wheeling. And yeah, I got a new electric unicycle and that's, you're telling me about that. Kind of ratches yeah. up things a bit. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. My goal is to ride it to Buffalo and back by the end of summer. Ooh, there you go. Yeah. Take the back, the back road. Yep. Through you cross there and yeah. 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 But you know what? I don't know. It's, it's a different, I think people's appreciation. Um, yeah. It's affected everybody, you know? Um, I yeah. think to be able to slow down and appreciate where we live. I think 
And then the influx of new people. You know, you see some of these cities that are just exploding, Bozeman, and and you know, that's a concern, mm-hmm. a, a growth. Yep. Uh, yep. We're seeing it a little bit, but I don't think as much as like, yeah, like Bozeman or, yeah. you know, I think Cheyenne's probably growing too, but. I think, um, you know, we have to be, we have to be careful because mm-hmm. what we love so much could be gone. Yeah. You know? Yep. Like you just said, you got to be reflective and kind of uh, be appreciative of what we have and um, how it's set up. So, um, Charlie, do you have any questions for Tom at all? <laughs> I think we caught Charlie sleeping. <laughs> no, we just we covered a lot there, Tom. But yeah. uh, well, I appreciate you coming by. Um, real quick, if anyone is listening, I don't know how big our uh, horse owners or trainers are on this show, but how can people find you um, in your work? Um, you guys have a website. You know what is that? Yeah, and, TomBalding.com. Okay, and uh, there's a lot of videos. I think you can find them on the website or just go on YouTube and uh, type in Tom Balding. Um, oh, we didn't ask. We didn't talk about this. Um, when was that Discovery Channel? You know, I episode. Think Do you remember? Or? Like ten years ago. Okay, that was a big moment. Yeah. How ex- yeah. did they approach you? Like, how did that happen? <clears throat> you know, I watched that show one night, and at the end, they go, "If you know of a business or a product you'd like to see made." get in touch with us. So I went in the office the next morning and I said, contact the Discovery Channel and tell them about us. And then about a week later, my secretary stuck her head in the shop and goes, somebody from the Discovery Channel wants to talk to you. Oh, man. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So it was just... That easy. Just gave him a call and kind of gave you... If you don't take the shot, you'll never make the basket. Yeah. That's awesome. I don't think anybody probably knows that that's all it took is you were just like watching their show and you're like, Oh, we'll give them a call. Yeah. How was that experience when they came to this oh, to the shop? Was, I loved it. Yeah. You know, just watching. I'm a, I appreciate technology and uh, the videotaping and the lighting. They'd spend two or three hours setting up lights. There's one scene where I had to crawl on the floor and go through a little hole to get to my little welding bench. Okay because they wanted to film me weld, welding. And then they only used like five seconds <laughs> for that clip, you know. Right, right. But, uh, That's cool. They got to the shop, and I gave them a tour and showed them. We would pretty much had laid out what we were going to do, and they made some phone calls, and they said, we're going to do three shows. Wow. You just There's just too much here. We've got to, we're going to do three separate shows. Awesome. If you Google it, it's like uh, how it's made bits, and then there's a one on spurs and one on, and they wanted me to make a belt buckle, and I'd never made a belt buckle before. <laughs> I, I thought it was a good time to start. Yeah, well, <laughs> might as well learn, right? <laughs> so if you watch the one on a belt buckle, that's the first buckle. <laughs> <laughs> how long? Uh, how long were they in total here in town? Oh, I think five full days. Of, Wow. Shop. Yeah. And uh, then we had a awesome party out at my house. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. That was cool. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I just remember, I remember that cause I was on the website earlier. And so you were mentioning the website. So I was like, Oh yeah, we have to ask him about that. So yeah, that's amazing. 
Um, well, that, that's all I had, Tom, unless there was something you wanted to talk about, but, um, oh, I'm good. Awesome. Well, hope I didn't bore you. No, that was fantastic. <laughs> no, from, uh, I grew up here. So getting to hear your story and to hear about how you started the business and, um, kind of how you operate, you know, it's, it's really cool. And I, I hope people enjoy it. And, um, if you guys haven't, I'd recommend cause I've been in the, the showroom a couple times, some really cool stuff. And I would imagine they'd give the staff will give you a tour if it's not too, yeah, uh, well with the COVID we cut back on that. Okay. And then reality kind of hit us that, I mean, for 20 years we gave, uh, sometimes half a dozen tours a day. Sure. And it just really wasn't practical for to run our business. And now that we're so far behind, we kind of limited. But, you know, if you reach out to me personally, I can arrange it. Arrange a tour. All right. And actually our showroom right now is only open on uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Okay. And uh, But one thing I'd like to mention, over the years I've given just – dozens of tours to all uh, a lot of the school kids mm-hmm. young, you know college to grade school and I guess one thing that I try to encourage or show kids or young people is that you know don't be afraid to you know give it a shot and I tend to say I've I've tried a lot of stuff and I don't a lot of it just didn't work out very good. I wasn't a failure. It just didn't work out too good. Yeah. And, uh, that's a good way to say that. You know, it, yeah. And you learn so much, you know, uh, when, when, when things don't go just planned. Right. Yeah. You can learn as much from, uh, yeah. Succeeding. Yep. Yeah, no, that's a great way to say that. And I think we'll end out with that. But, uh, well, Tom, thanks again. And if you guys want, again, go check out TomBalding.com, right? TomBalding.com is the website. Um, And, uh, Tom, thanks again. You bet.